0: You're listening to the New City Church Podcast. These episodes are recorded live on Gadigal land. Sometimes the audio quality might not be perfect because what you're listening to is a conversation. We don't edit out the chatter. We think that's what makes it authentic. Wherever you're tuning in from, we hope you find this episode encouraging. So we're going to delve into John nine which is a long passage. Uh, I've entitled it Suffering, Sin and Seeing Differently, but just because suffering got the alliteration, but it really should be disability, sin and seeing differently. Um, But suffering still works. Um, So this is a really long passage, and the author of John loves to make a theological point through some dialogue. So uh, it's a good time. But what I wanted to do is rather than put it on the screen, I wanted to get people to get their devices out and actually follow along and maybe be a little bit more proactive because I'd love to hear if you have questions or if there are things that confront you as part of this um, or themes that you kind of notice and just have a little bit of some open dialogue or ask questions or um, discuss at the start after reading this. That would be really fun if you're at home online, pull up a, a web page or something and look up John 9. And I'm gonna be reading from uh, the new revised standard version, NRSV. So we're gonna be reading through John 9 NRSV, noticing what confronts you, what questions do you have, what themes, just what pops out to you, cause uh, it's a bit of a doozy. So let's do that together. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. And the neighbours and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, no, but it is someone like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, and how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. Great dialogue, John, from the edge of our seats at this point. Um, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been born blind. This is where it gets juicy. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Oh, yeah, some booing there. Uh, Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, again, he put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, how could a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they again said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And he said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight, dragging everyone in and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. I think we already did. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. We don't want anything to do with it. So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Stick into a story. Stick to your experience. That's what you know. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Cheeky. Then they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to the one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born entirely in sins and you are trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Sound like gaslighting much? Jesus heard that they had driven him out and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and the one speaking to you is he. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind." Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said, surely we are not blind, are we? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. What a banger. Well done, John. What do you notice? What confronts you or are you just enjoying it? What questions do you have? What themes do you see? What pops out to you? There's an idea that sin is linked to disability. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah, they, they wouldn't uh, acknowledge his voice as a disabled person uh, and they asked someone else to speak for him. Yeah, quite familiar. sure yep so there's this rule that if you say jesus is the messiah you get kicked out of the synagogue and it seems like they're doing all these backflips to try to prove otherwise or make a different point or have it be said that you know jesus is something else or something else is going on here so that we don't have to confess jesus is the messiah yeah hmm Yep, very familiar uh, dynamics in this beautiful miracle happening and all they notice is it happened on a Saturday. Yep. Yeah, there's an assumption that being blind is bad um, whereas disability advocates say, uh, particularly in the deaf community, that being hear imp- hearing impaired is not a bad thing or might not be inherently bad. Um, so the assumption that it's a negative thing is in there. Does that summarise that well? Yep. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to try and summarise that and think if I tell me if I do this well. But uh, Jesus says that uh, where is it that he says verse four? Yet yeah, that that he's he's been born blind so that God's works would be made known in him, um, and that seems to say that like this guy and this healing is a passage for making a greater point that his blindness is not a work of god or that he can't reveal god unless he's healed there are some problematic assumptions in there have i done that justice yeah so does that mean every blind person has to be healed yeah yep again this assumption Yeah. Yep. Jesus says he's gonna make some people blind. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, some good thoughts. Um I think this is why we read the Bible in community and why diverse voices are important because if we read from one lens, we can look over stuff and miss stuff or there might be something that we take away from a passage that's a complete assumption from potentially an ableist perspective. In this regard, we're working with a different framework of understanding. There's some really good questions. Um, and engaging in the Bible in this way is a really good thing, I think. Um, yeah, any other uh, Final thoughts? Yep. Yeah, sure. Spitting on the ground, making mud with saliva is a weird thing. It's also COVID unsafe. Uh, Can't go past that in the passage, yep. Real odd. Something that others have always believed in, mothers have always believed in, is the healing properties of saliva. I love that. Hmm. Can you say that again? Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, the the Pharisees completely miss the beauty of the healing in trying to establish systems and processes around how did it happen, you know, and the humanness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, why can't we just accept that it happened? Yeah, (laughs) and move on. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I had a few reflections and it's going to engage some of this stuff, but we might not get to all of it. A big one probably being that, um, yeah, just the ideological assumption of like blindness being bad. I may not deal with that one, very well in in my reflections but let's just have it sitting there as something that we need to have front and center as we go through Um, because I basically drew out three themes that I think are sort of important for us to delve into when we're looking and going through this passage Uh, the first one is disability and suffering in the world the second one is the nature of sin And the third one is the way that we see and ways of seeing. So I've just closed my notes. That's not helpful. Um, So I'm gonna delve into those. I'm gonna touch on those three things, disability and suffering, sin and uh, ways of seeing. And if at the end there is more to say, wonderful. That sounds great. Let's go with those questions. Thank you very much for engaging. So our passage opens, there's this theological pondering of the disciples, it's a tradition of theirs which has engaged verses in the Hebrew Bible that link a person's sin to sickness or disability and so they ask, who was it that sinned that he's born blind? An assumption that it's bad. However, even though the question from the disciples is a question about the cause of disability and suffering, I actually don't think this passage is trying to answer that question, but rather to confront how problematic that question is. I think as humans, we often, we're trying to seek answers and rationales to help us solve hard questions about pain and suffering in the world that kind of relieves some of that emotional burden. Questions like, Why me? Why them? Why this? Why now? And they're really, really important questions to ask and very natural. And we need to give space for them. What I think is unhelpful and spotlighted in this passage is that sometimes people will want to come in with black and white answers, answers which are too full of judgment, welcome and blame, where others actually position themselves above the person in the midst of struggle. It can be egotistical, self-righteous. We see it in this passage. Uh, we turn someone's pain into a speculation or a theological debate um, rather than sit in the pain with someone else, really see them in a space where there may not be any easy answers. We see Jesus try to care for them in this passage. Uh, and we can rush to ideas and explanations which are actually not life-giving for anyone who are actually sitting in that space with hard and complex injustices. I think we see in this passage, Jesus is completely rejecting the disciples' line of questioning, saying it's non-productive and rather chooses to provide care and mercy for suffering instead. Does that weird thing where he spits on the ground, creates mud with saliva Uh, shows mercy in the grace of hard things, doesn't even enter into or confronts the question. And I actually think he's shifting things away from a theological debate where there's reason and cause and judgment, which is self-righteously actually sent to us. You know, the disciples come, they see this guy on the side of the road begging. It's like, hey, we got a theological question for you. I'm going to completely ignore this guy who's struggling and doesn't have any, you know, we're going to put ourselves in the midst and say, is there something I can learn from this? And Jesus flips that and shows care and love and grace and the grace of God in the face of human need. is what I think we're meant to see here. And actually, my reflections are that we may never get a good reason for why there's disability and suffering in the world. Sometimes we might be able to draw a cause, like the person was driving drunk, But for a disability or a chronic illness that people are born with, uh, my sister's disability, for instance, things get more complex and messy. And it's actually not helpful when when people try to reason why. And I think we're being nudged here to see the person, to see the pain, see the humanity and resist seeing problems or ideas or categories. Um, And I wanted to name The very unhelpful theological ideas that I think we do confront in this passage, Brandy named one before. That people's disabilities and chronic illnesses are their own responsibility and that they are the problem which needs to be fixed. And for that, I'm hoping we can go to a quote from Shane Clifton, who's a good friend of some of us in this community. Uh, He's a theologian who had a spinal cord injury just before his 40th birthday and he speaks about disability and theology. There's a technical difference between what they call the medical and the social model of disability. We tend to think of disability as a problem in the body and it's a problem with the individual who's got the disability. And the solution to that is to fix the body in one way or another or the brain. Whereas disabled advocates have realized that actually disability is a social problem and that people are disabled because we don't shape our environment to to accommodate people's embodied differences. And that might be simple things like ramps to get into buildings, sign interpreters in our meetings or various other things. So I think society and the media tends to present disability as a problem with the person. That also comes out in the way in which they talk about disabled people overcoming their problems. There's this thing which I call the positivity myth, which has this idea that if you've got a positive attitude, you can overcome the constraints of your disability. The winner of The Voice every year will go, I dreamed a dream. And if you dream it, look what will happen to you. Well, the fact is we've just watched 99 people get knocked out of the competition. It didn't work for them. And look, you can't overcome the constraints of disability, especially if it's society working against you. So I get really tired of the positivity myth. The stories in the media will be the person who got a spinal cord injury who managed to walk at the end of it. And you know what? That's not generally the consequences of positive attitude. He was just fortunate or she or they were just fortunate that the spinal cord healed up. There is bad theology in teaching people that to think positively, God will make things well for you. The examples of uh, inspiration porn, where one person's ability to overcome hardship is uplifted as this inspiration, Uh, and Christian teachings about faith and healing, that if you believe and pray it enough, you'll be healed, or if you're good, good things will come to you. Jesus disrupts any line of this thinking, I think. It's neither this theory nor that theory. But then also prompts a more unhelpful way of viewing disability, which some of us, I think, flagged this as well. He was actually born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. Problematic Jesus he went from really problematic theology to like even more problematic theology, potentially, um, which almost suggests That people are given disabilities and suffering because of some higher reason, which is about God's works and mission, that it's even good they suffer because God's glory is being revealed there. It's a theology I've been taught as a queer person that my suffering in loneliness and dissociating my sexuality and gender identity away from myself is holy and it's for God's glory. This disability or illness was given for a good reason. That's another form of bad theology. And I think Jesus is actually pointing to something that's being completely overlooked this theme of seeing. He's pointing to something unseen in the entire story, and actually unseen by this question or this frame of understanding altogether. That he's not trying to create another black and white answer, but actually to blow up and expand entirely what this man's life reveals about sin and about God. And so that's a nice little segue into the second part, which is about the doctrine of sin. This passage teaches us a lot about sin as well, and the way that we might helpfully or unhelpfully talk about sin. And we're introduced to an understanding of sin, which many of us will know in different forms or recognize. Uh, You're responsible for your disability. You're responsible for your ill health, your difference, your diversity, your hardship, your pain, your inequality, the racial discrimination you experience or your gendered inequality. Your struggle in life is actually your own fault or your family's fault. The fact that you're blind and have to sit out here on the street begging to get by punishment for something you've done. And this view is completely blind to everything else happening in the world. The more subtle ways that we hear this attitude. She left her drink unattended, she was wearing a revealing shirt, she was asking for it, she should know better. Oh they're just lazy and if they actually cared about getting out of poverty They would work harder for it. They had an overly strong mother or an absent father and that's why they turned out to be gay. In the quote earlier, Shane Clifton talked about the structures which reduce the ability of people with disabilities to live lives like others, the way their personhood and freedom and autonomy is reduced because of the community and the society around them. So building ramps and funding people under the NDIS addresses these structures which reduce autonomy and freedom. So back to sin. We need to start thinking about sin at more of a communal level rather than just individual and start thinking that sins might not be blanket universal rules but potentially highly contextual and nuanced. For example, It's actually not good news to to tell someone who's grown up with intergenerational trauma because they're Indigenous or their family sought asylum or their parents can't pay their mortgage to respect their parents when they may not not be abusive towards them. Or on the other side, we actually might not be able to find that individual billionaires have stolen something directly from someone else. But the fact that structures exist in which the 10 richest men doubled their income during the pandemic when 99% of people's incomes fell. And a fun fact I learned this week, and by fun, I mean horrifying. If those men were to lose 99% of their wealth tomorrow, they would still be richer than 99% of people on the planet. This disruption... Of equality is sinful. So to tell those individuals not to steal in the way it's historically been understood might not get to the crux of it. I think this passage is trying to spotlight there are much more complex ways of understanding sin going on in our lives, that the disciples and rabbis and Pharisees were completely blind to In the lives of this man born blind. Uh, The good news of gospel, very early on in the first passage, in the first chapter, is proclaimed. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the cosmos. I actually think the good news is not just that Jesus came into the world to save individuals from their individual sins, but also to save individuals from the sins of the rest of the world, which operate in structures and systems against them. This is a whole worldly communal salvation. So recognising that it's not the individual problem, that he is forced the individual's problem. He's forced to beg out on the street because his society does not support him. Sin is not that simple. Systems of racism, colonialism, inequality, patriarchy, there are laws and structures which push people into these situations. I think we have this language here, but maybe I'm just drilling at home. And rather than see the person in the middle as the problem, adding blame and judgment to their life, we're invited to see differently, to confront the way things have been done, the structures which oppress people. And we're really to see the way that we as individuals join with other individuals to live as a community that uplifts everyone equally, which promotes healing. Maybe we won't get on the ground and spit and, you know, do that thing, but let's do healing in life in other ways. And actually from there, I just want to springboard that, commun- this, that question into this community. I want to pose the question to you. What does it look like to be people who follow Jesus into the light? What does it look like to reject sinful ways of living in our context? What assumptions have we made about sin that may not be right? And how do we promote God's liberation and life? Which leads me into that third little point of our passage. Ways of seeing and particularly ways of seeing differently. There's been heaps of symbolism, if you've been following along in our Gospel of John, around light and darkness of sight and blindness so far. uh, In the first section of of John's Gospel, it echoes Genesis 1, what has come into being in him the word was life. And the life was the light of all people. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And in this passage, we hear it said in verse 4, I am the light of the world. We're getting really familiar with this light theme and this seeing theme by now. And actually, I just wanted to spotlight something really cool that the author of John does. Not only do we have fun reading it, we have a little giggle along, there's a bit of humour, and it's just like, you know, he gets dragged in, the parents get dragged in, and then, you know, there's all these back and forth, There's a really, really cool literary contrast in this story if you follow closely, which shows the way that Jesus' light works in the world. And there's a really cool little flip. Those who think they see are actually blind or don't see. And those who are blind receive sight. Uh, And John does some fun things in the dialogue between the man formerly born blind who comes to see and the Pharisees who are declared, at the end, unable to see. So if we follow along, in verse 9, the words of the man who comes to see, he names him the man called Jesus. Pretty simple. Then in verse 17, he calls him a prophet. Then verse 33, he says he's from God. And then finally, in 36 and 38, he calls him Lord. And this is contrasted with the fumbling descriptions which get worse and worse by the Pharisees. Firstly, in verse 12, they're accusedly asking where Jesus is. Then in verse 16, uh, they're saying Jesus is not from God because he breaks the Sabbath. Uh, And then in verse 22, they're stating that anyone who confesses Jesus as Messiah, someone else pointed this out, will be put out of the synagogue. And then finally, verse 24, they call him a sinner. So look at this fun little contrast of the man who is formerly born blind comes to say, you know, Jesus, prophet, son of man, Lord. And the Pharisees are actually seeing more and more muddily the one who is born blind is the one who sees. And there's actually a judgment declared at the end against the Pharisees because they continue to bang on about seeing. They continue to say, we see. We see the way things are, when in reality, they are the men born blind. And it's pretty fun because we've seen stories like this happen throughout the Gospel of John. The man born blind is actually... One of a few people in the gospel who aren't named, they don't have a name, Uh, and it's really cool because, like, there's the Samaritan woman at the well. Who remembers the Samaritan woman at the well? Who's there for that? Yep. Um, There's the woman caught in adultery. Yep, we remember that one. Um, It's stories where we see, actually, the disciples and the Pharisees, they're expecting judgment or exclusion or separation of these people who actually... They don't even deserve a name because they're so insignificant. But Jesus sees them and acknowledges them as full humans, not just as their social categories. And Jesus welcomes them with grace and mercy and healing and life. And in all of these situations, the religious leaders are spotlighted to be in the shadows. They're overconfident, self-righteous, that they've got it figured out. But they don't see And we see this in John 9, the disciples, the rabbis, the Pharisees see a man born blind as a theological debate. They're blind to structures of oppression and exclusion and they seek to blame him for having a disability and needing to beg. And then, as you say, it's a familiar story, Joel, when the mercy and compassion and grace of God through the healing of Jesus is shown to be springing forth from his life. They want to accuse him. They want to other him. They want to alienate him. They want to gaslight him. They want to exclude him. And his leaders and his family and his community are all ready to reject him. Something I think many of us might personally resonate with because it's been some of our experiences too. And what's really, really beautiful, as we kind of come to land somewhere with this, the man born blind begins as a beggar in verse 8. He's on the streets, doesn't have much agency. Verse 11, he's got a voice. He's in there speaking. And finally, we see him in verse 27. He's someone who's able to proactively and confidently engage at the level of the learned Pharisees. He debates with them and even calls them out. And I want to say that back in that awkward verse 3 thing about what are the works of God and what's this bad theology that you're banging on about Jesus, I want to say this is the glory of God. This is what it means in verse 3 to say God's works are alive in this man mercy and grace and welcome empower those who have formerly been powerless who have been flung to the sides who are unseen and then they declare the good news of God to us this is the light of Jesus the presence of God in our lives There are those who look for judgment and blame, those who look to cast people out, alienate, exclude them from the community. And this, again, feels very poignant in a week where we've seen a piece of legislation rejected because it was unable to enshrine in law the right to exclude trans kids. There's another way of seeing, where we don't see people as problems, but systems which oppress them as problems where we look for life and liberation, mercy and grace, invitation and welcome. So beautiful, family. In Jesus, we're called to see differently. We're invited to see the light of the world and the way that God is moving differently through the kingdom that Jesus installs. It's a new reign of God, a new ministry of God, the works of God, Alternative forms of structuring community, grace, healing, inclusion that actually confront the judgment, blame and exclusion and in places where we least expect it. And our vision at New City is that all will find refuge and life in Jesus. So maybe you need to be reminded of the way that you have seen God or the way you have received sight, and that the mercy and grace and welcome of God is powerfully being revealed in your life, that that's a beautiful thing, which actually may have caused you to be othered or alienated or excluded by religious leaders who seek to condemn. Alternatively and concurrently, you may need to be reminded to see the people you have overlooked and excluded how you have cast judgment or made assumptions. You've not seen a person or their pain or the systems which oppress them. You tried to create black and white answers maybe where care and love were more appropriate. And I actually think it's important to explicitly be reminded of the ways we in an ableist society participate in relegating those with disabilities and chronic illnesses to the margins. And while we consider ourselves whole or more whole, these ideological assumptions that we've challenged at the beginning, we're invited to be more inclusive, inviting, empowering, individually and systemically in our community here at New City. So I just want to leave you with the question, how are you being invited to see and have faith? How are you being invited to walk in the light of Jesus? What have you overlooked or who have you overlooked? And what are you going to do about it? Let me pray. God of light and transparency and exposing and beauty. God of light who reveals grace and mercy and invite and inclusion. God of light, who drives away judgment and blame and shame and exclusion. God, would you help us to see you? Would you help us to have a better faith? Would you help our world to reject alienation and othering? God of light, may we see you more fully. May we know you more fully and may we be bold in our welcome and our embodying of grace and mercy in our world. Amen.